BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, February 13th is moments away. But before we get into that, we got to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. That's correct. The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8 are sponsors. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, sponsored this program, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and sponsoring. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. Thursday, February 13th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, our Cannabis Conversation Series continues with Lisa Solomon of the Chicago Reader and Sparky Rose. your host please don't smoke marijuana in this studio chicago reader columnist ben Jarofsky. <laughs> all right for the record i have not smoked marijuana since 1980 or maybe it was 81 i can't remember because i was stoned at the time <laughs> so uh yes we continue <laughs> cannabis conversation with uh you know lisa we usually uh do the mystery guest thing i've been revealing our mystery guest so We'll do a greater revelation. We'll pretend we haven't revealed who he is uh, when we bring you on. Before we bring you on, D, you got an update? Absolutely, I do. Right now, posted at chicagoreader.com. It's the latest Chicago Reader column from our correct. very own Ben Jarofsky. That is correct. This week's column. Wait, hold on. That's correct. <laughs> Stealing his moves, man. Uh, this week's column is titled Chicago's Three Card Monty. Ben Jarofsky, tell us what this is all about. I will, but just uh, so Lisa and Sparky, our guests, know that voice is Robert Mueller. This is the Mueller Report. So while I talk about my current column, uh, Sparky, please read the Mueller Report and then uh, tell us, <laughs> you know, distill it for us, okay? I may be the only person in the world who's actually read the Mueller Report. All right, this column I talked about already. We did a whole bit on this column, Three Card Monty. It's an excellent column. I must say so myself. Rondo walked to read it after the show, of course. What's it about? It's all about TIFs, Tax and Command Financing, one of my favorite topics, TIFs. That's where they slap a surcharge on your property tax to fuel a uh, slush fund controlled by the mayor of the city of Chicago. Folks, if you like it, Go along with it. If you know Ben Jarofsky, you know he loves talking about tips, and that is what's in this week's Ben Jarofsky column. And also, when you get done uh, reading that, you can listen to Beyond the Column. It's a brand new weekly uh, podcast that me and Ben do. And we do it at his house. You can hear the brown line every 10 minutes. It's kind of funny. No, you know what? And what I love about Beyond the Column, uh, in addition to taking the deep dive on what I wrote about, is that uh, Dennis takes a column that I've written. I've been writing, uh, Sparky, you don't know me. You never met me before. I've been writing uh, since... 
uh, the days of Cheech and Chong, okay? If I could just give nice. you a cultural reference uh, <laughs> when they were at their primacy. Uh, and I've been writing for the Chicago Reader for a long, long time. I have a whole backlog of columns. And so what the, the young doctor over there does is that uh, he'll just take uh, that, which you, you now you do it. So like this day was like February, whatever this week is in February from whatever year, just randomly grabs a column and half the time I can't remember what it was I wrote because yeah, we was, look at uh, Ben Jarofsky columns past uh, this week or the one that's just now posted on three card money we take the deep dive on three card money find out a little bit more about that and then we also go uh, back in Ben Jarofsky column past and talk about a column from 2008 yeah, man. find out what it is and check out uh, beyond the column it's our weekly thing and go read this column from Ben Jarofsky absolutely it's about tiffs uh, you know I can talk I'm probably gonna write another one next week because uh, about this uh, the 78 tiff deal uh that's striking my fancy all right no talk of tiffs we're talking a reefer cannabis marijuana uh lisa salmon from the chicago reader introduce oh do you have something else you ready to introduce our guest i'm going to talk for just a minute or two then i'm going to introduce our guest so this is an interesting weekend in chicago every sports enthusiast knows it's the nba all-star game well that is bringing some really interesting events to chicago because now that cannabis is legal you know, there have been pop-up dinners. I'm going to let our guests talk about the public consumption issue, but there are some Valentine dinners tomorrow night that people can buy tickets to. They range from a pajama jammy jam, which you can Google if you want to find it. And then there is a more elegant four-course dinner at an art gallery with a acoustic music between the courses and that one it's the chambalife.com c-h-a-m-b-a if you want to find that they do have a few seats remaining we've got events like that then there's something coming up soon that is kind of a crazy canifest that when people think about oh cannabis events must be depraved this one i see some ads for is like that it's like a woman in a thong with a guy getting ready to literally kiss her butt um so <laughs> That, I don't know the organizers, not going to go into any more depth, but these dinners tomorrow night, they're like more elegant affairs. And I keep hearing there are doctors and lawyers there and, you know, people from all walks of life. So I'm going to go to a few dinners tomorrow night and check them out. And next time I'm on, I'll report back about them. Um, And then tons of private NBA-related dinners. I hear we ran out of cannabis chefs in Chicago to supply the requests Mm -hmm. of all the players here wanting to do their own dinners. So on that note, I am going to introduce our special guest who's been in the industry for years. He knows about all aspects of it, but we're going to have him talk about public consumption, and then he might get into some other issues. We'll see where you take this, Ben. Sparky Rose, the man, the myth, the legend. I'm going (laughs) to let you do your own introduction so I don't you know, miss, mess anything up. Thank, thank you very much, uh, Lisa, uh, Ben, and Dennis. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I'm Sparky Rose. Uh, I live here in Chicago. I've been in the cannabis business now for about 15 years. Um, I used to be the executive director of an organization called Compassionate Caregivers. Uh, we won one of the first four cannabis business licenses ever awarded in the United States of America in the city of Oakland. Uh, I took uh, that company and grew it to seven dispensaries, three cultivation centers, about 280 employees and revenues exceeding $5 million a month. 
Uh, we got uh, shut down by the DEA, uh, served about three years in federal prison for that, uh, got out about 10 years ago, um, came to Chicago. Uh, my history, uh, my career started in, in brand marketing, and so I helped launch a couple of cannabis companies, um, Sacred, which is a local company here in Illinois. They're a CBD topicals company, uh, Papa and Barkley, which is the number one topicals company in California. And then I was the chief marketing officer for Pharmacan here in Oak Park uh, for about a year uh, before starting two agencies, 4042 North, which is a cannabis brand marketing agency down in the loop, and uh, Supercritical LLC. We're a capital services firm. We help investors uh, place money with cannabis companies, and we help cannabis companies uh, raise capital for their for their businesses. Uh, we also help people with their applications to you know get dispensary licenses, et cetera. Oh. Man, okay, you uh, just gave us a lot to go with. I'm sitting there listening, and then in the middle of that sentence, you talk about three years uh, served. So I have to go back to that because this, most people do. Most people do uh, talk. Take the deep dive on that. Sure, uh, it's it's pretty simple. Um, so cannabis is federally illegal, and make no mistake, um, other than some uh, bylines in the uh, sentence, uh, not sentencing the. Um, budgetary bills that go through Congress every year. That's the only thing that's preventing the DEA and the Department of Justice from shutting down every cannabis company in the United States of America. Cannabis is illegal. Every company is operating illegally to this day, and they can come and get you whenever they want. Uh, they don't, uh, because there's a provision uh, in the in the budgetary bills that says um, the DEA and the DOJ cannot go after companies that are lawfully operating under medical cannabis programs in the states. Um, and uh, But at the time uh, that we got uh, taken down by the DEA was during the George W. Bush administration, and there weren't such protections. It was before the Cole memo, et cetera. And so uh, we got a little bit too big. We were mainstreaming cannabis. We were the largest cannabis company in the United States at the time, and they decided they had seen enough. And so they shut us down. Um, I ended up uh, managing to plead out. Um, <clears throat> there were not to get too much into the weeds, there were there were two busts of the same organization. The first time uh, we got busted was by the LAPD in West Hollywood, um, and it was a, an illegal search and seizure. The LAPD doesn't have any jurisdiction in West Hollywood. They have their own uh, city council. They have their own police department. And so as a result of that, um, I had sued the Treasury Department to get the $1.4 million they seized out, seized out of our bank accounts back, and I ended up using that as leverage the second time they came and arrested us. Um, basically, the deal was that if I gave up that lawsuit and gave up the money. They reduced my charges to maintaining a drug-involved premises and promotional money laundering, which uh, carries no mandatory minimum but a 20-year maximum. Roll your dice with the judge, and I got sentenced to 37 months. And did you, you serve the time? I served 22 uh, inside and six months in a halfway house uh, in San Luis Obispo, California. They sent you to a federal prison? Yes. Because yes, you were running a medical marijuana dispensary? A legal uh, medical marijuana company in the state of California. And it was the feds that prosecuted you and sent you to yep. that prison? But you said the LAPD uh, raided you. Did I get that correct? Yeah, that's what kind of started it. So, um, Compassionate Caregivers had a dispensary in West Hollywood. The LAPD raided it. Um, they were doing a series of raids in and around Los Angeles at the time. And then um, I purchased the assets of the company from the original owner for a dollar because uh, he didn't want to get back into the business. And so I reopened um, a new company called uh, New Remedies Cooperative in San Francisco as a mutual benefit corporation. And so it was a nonprofit, um, unlike the previous company. And then I got raided by the DEA again uh, for that for that business. And when they they, uh, when they arrested me, they got about a quarter million dollars out of the bank, and they knew they would never get a conviction in San Francisco. It just wasn't a big enough bust. So they dropped the charges against me in San Francisco and brought me up on the charges from the previous raid down in West Hollywood. And at that point, my, att 
attorney said that uh, I was pretty much dead to rights because you're not going to be able to argue change of venue. I was going to go to court in Los Angeles. They said you're probably going to draw an all-Asian jury and they're going to convict. And so they said you've got to plead out. And so that's what I did. Why, why all-Asian? What, what, what matter would that have in it? Uh, you know, I don't know uh, the demographics of the legal side, but apparently in jury selection, uh, that's how it's going to net out. And, uh, and I, I guess the Asian community has, has a, um, at least in Los Angeles, has a strong predisposition against cannabis, or they did at the time. Um, but yeah, on counsel, uh, on the advice of my counsel, they said, you're, you're, you're done. You're going to have to plead out. Let's just take a moment to appreciate the, the insanity of everything you just articulated. <laughs> uh, and, and Sparky, this is one of my favorite themes about marijuana. Uh, but while this was happening to you in approximately 2004, did you say was it? 2006 is when I got arrested, and then I was on um, pretrial release for 18 months, and then I was sentenced in 2008. Okay, so while this, while uh, you were being put through these ordeals, okay, mm-hmm. giving up your uh, all this time in federal prison, marijuana, reefer, cannabis, whatever you want to call it, is widely used in popular culture. It's widely used by people throughout the country. Uh, so if people, this, this, this is the part of the story that still I haven't got over, Sparky. You're gonna go bang, get over it. But no, it's hard for me to get over it. This like, this uh, how to, schizophrenic attitude that this country has toward this drug where so many people are indulging it. Or if they're not indulging it themselves, they used to indulge it, or their friends indulge it, or their kids indulge it, and then they look the other way while the feds uh, throw uh, the sparky roses of the world. And by the way, this was going on, I don't know if you know, the Tommy Chong, his case, very similar case around the time. Uh, he, he had to spend time uh, in federal prison, I believe, yep. and it was the Bush administration. Yep. It was some attorney in the Justice Department that went after him, very, some similar stories. But I don't understand, this is part of it. Like, marijuana is so pervasive in California. So many people smoke marijuana openly. You go down a boardwalk at Venice Beach, they have those dudes in the, like the green, they used to, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like the green med suits. Like Oh, yeah. The like, sign, flip and twirling signs come in here. Yeah, get your, the doctor's in the house. Yeah, they'll you can, see you and then they'll sell you what you want right then and there. Yeah. Dude, I, I, I don't even live in California. I went through it just for the hell of it, Sparky. I, I got a med- medical marijuana car there and then. He goes, the doctor who's, I don't even know if he's a real doctor, but he was like, <laughs> so do you, what, what's your problem? I go... I have anxiety. Oh, anxiety? This will do it. Next yeah. thing you know. Hang now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's such a hypocrisy that police, the local police, would be doing the feds dirty business. It was really interesting. So uh, with the LAPD, they were going after the money. They had no intention of prosecuting us. They arrested everybody and released them. They took the weed. They took the money out of the bank. And they they get to keep, I think, believe it's half of that. They split it with the feds. Um, and so that was the whole purpose, was a money grab. They had no interest in me at all. And neither did the feds, because when, when that uh, bust went down, my attorneys contacted the Department of Justice and said, you know, what's going on? And they said, we're not interested in, in Mr. Rose. Uh, Mr. Kristich, who owned the company. Um, so we're not interested in either one of them. We only sent one DEA agent and one uh, IRS agent so they could seize the weed and seize the money, but this is entirely the LAPD's game. This is this is all them. And uh, it only I only ended up dealing with that later because um, the federal government, they, they knew they wouldn't get a conviction against me in San Francisco, and they don't, they're, they're not really interested in losing. Uh, they have a 98% conviction rating, mm-hmm. so they're going to win no matter what. 
And so they moved it down, you know, to, to LA and I was done. And so I just had to take it on the chin. So why did you come to Chicago? Why did you settle in this part? of? So after I was released uh, from prison, I had three years of supervised release. And for the first year under the terms of supervised release, I had to stay where, uh, where I got out of prison, which was Los Angeles. So I had to stay the first year after I got out of prison in Los Angeles. And once that was done, I was able to leave. Um, I'm not a big fan of Los Angeles. I, I lived there uh, when I was younger. Um, and so, uh, I couldn't afford to live in San Francisco again. The costs had gone up, and of course, the feds take all your money when they when they take your bank account. So I came out with nothing, and so um, I stayed in LA and was uh, actually doing temp graphic design work to start over. I didn't have a portfolio either. The feds took my computers when they busted me, and that along with it went my portfolio. And so after I got back on my feet, uh, my best friend lived in Wilmette, went to New Trier, and was just like, hey, come move to Chicago. You can stay with me and the family to figure out what you want to do. Um, and I love big cities, and it was either going to be Chicago or Austin. And uh, my bestie said, come on out. So I did, and uh, the rest is history. It's best move of my life. I absolutely love and adore Chicago. I, I wouldn't live anywhere else, to be honest. All right. Well, you came at a fortuitous time. And I, I mentioned this to you uh, at the break. Uh, I've been crusading for the legalization of marijuana for years. And I just think the laws are utterly insane, as I just pointed out, uh, and the hypocrisy that it shows. I still can't get over it. Uh, that said, I, I got to tell you, Sparky, it was like a light went on in this in this state. You know, if you go back ten years from not even ten years, you go back six years. Like, I couldn't get politicians to speak on the record about legalizing weed. Ben, can we go off the record about this one? You know, I, I, I like it. You know, I, in fact, I smoke it, but don't tell anybody. But, you know, this is controversial. And then I would hear all, like, uh, I, oh, my God, I would hear so many myths that people would have about uh, marijuana and how, un, like, the public would rise up against them. And I'm like, the public's freaking getting high, you know? And then, but, dude, Sparky, the like all of a sudden within the last two years, marijuana is legal. You just heard uh, Lisa run down the list of all these events. The NBA coming to Chicago for the they used to test players for marijuana. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? The NFL is still insane. They won't let their football players use marijuana to alleviate the aches and pains. We just uh, we had Norbert to pick it on the show a couple days ago. He was talking about this. Mm -hmm. He's trying to get a dispensary license in, in Illinois. And, you know, the insanity, the NFL will uh, test for marijuana. So you still have, you know, some of the aspects. But here in Illinois... All of a sudden, overnight, it's like the ball goes down the hill and it's really going fast. Your timing was perfect. <laughs> you know, I've often said, um, and, and this came to me when John Boehner decided to join Acreage Holdings. Um, and, you know, he railed against cannabis uh, while he was in office and then he got out and he said that he'd, uh, he'd evolved his position on cannabis. And uh, and my favorite thing is, you know, I don't know that Charles Darwin ever realized what effect money was going to have on evolution because it's pretty amazing. Um, and, and it is. There's, there's a lot of hypocrisy. There's a lot of misinformation. And really, when you look at... Um, turning the stigma of marijuana or cannabis around, um, you know, you're, you're up against 20 to 30 plus years of having it drilled into generations that this is the devil's lettuce, that this is the demon weed, that this is going to turn you insane, that this is going to turn you into a heroin addict or a cocaine addict. And it, it takes a lot 
to turn that around. Um, I've actually been very surprised at how quickly it's happened. When we started back in, when I was in the game uh, in California, it was, th- there were no regulations. You couldn't get a license. Cannabis testing didn't exist. We were largely a uh, self-regulated industry. And uh, we were just doing anything we could to, to not get in trouble, um, either with the locals or with the feds. And, and, you know, we did pretty good for a while. Um, but then when finally things started to change, once Colorado uh, legalized adult use, and you start to kind of see this cascade. And, and I've been impressed with how quickly things have turned. I really didn't, I, I figured it was going to be 10 to 20 years, I'd say from today, before we saw the legalization of cannabis nationally. Now I think you're looking at a three to five year window where whether it's considered federally legal, where whether it's rescheduled, whether they just push it down to the states. But through some mechanism, I think we're going to see what you could consider full uh, U.S. legalization here in three to five years. You think so? Three yeah, to five years. The, the, the bullets left the gun. You cannot turn this back, period. It's done. So how much longer are you going to drag your feet? Well, you talked about uh, the coal memo. And I know you guys want to talk about uh, social consumption. We'll get to social consumption. <laughs> but this is very important, the coal memo. Uh, when you, uh, I made a note of that because I, I, I don't know if all our listeners know what the coal memo, memo is and the consequence it has on the the cannabis industry and uh so why don't you explain to people what the coal memo is the coal memo was uh, obviously it was a memo it, it was basic protections which inst- which basically had instructions that said that the um written by a man named cole yes hence the name yes. c-o-l-e go uh that that um the 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 dea and the department of justice cannot spend federal resources um investigating or persecuting cannabis companies that are operating legally under uh, medical cannabis laws in their given state. And it was written in the Obama years. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was around for his entire um, administration. And then uh, it remained at the beginning of the Trump administration. And then Jeff Sessions overturned it a couple years in, a year in, a couple years in. Um, and of course, you had Pete Sessions, who controls what uh, bills hit the floor in the House of Representatives. And he, reviews, he refused to have anything that talked about cannabis at all hit the floor. Um, and so with that, there was a bunch of nervousness in the market, um, but and there was a bunch of confusion because the farm bill had just passed. And so you start bringing hemp and CBD into the equation, and that really confuses everybody. Um, but now we don't have those explicit protections of the coal memo, but they have been putting it into all these uh, renewed spending bills. Um, and, and the budget that Trump just put in, he's tried to pull it out again, uh, pull out the, the protections for medical cannabis programs. Um, everyone seems to think that they'll it'll remain in there once it gets through uh, the Senate and all that. That is a very bizarre thing you just said. That Donald Trump, who's in so many ways a, a very unconventional politician, would still feel compelled to link himself to these antediluvian uh, notions that are really fading. That somehow or other this demon weed is so so dangerous that we cannot even allow it to be used for medicinal purposes. So we'll take away the protections that many of these uh, medical dispensaries have by eradicating the coal memo. Uh, and then there's this fight that goes up. I presume when you say the they that put it into the budget, it's Democrats who yeah. put it in the budget, and then Republicans try to take it out of the budget. Am I correct <clears throat> on that? Yeah, yeah, and um. Yeah, it's 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 pretty it's it's somewhat insane um, how this keeps going back and forth. You know, all the predictions of what would happen if you legalized marijuana, none of it's happened. I mean, we've had legal marijuana. I mean, all right, 
adult use marijuana hit California in 2018. I'll tell you right now, California weed's been legal in California for about 20 years. Make no mistake. <laughs> Except in um, your case, when they put you in the every now and then, someone gets unlucky. That yeah. would be me. Uh, but, but outside of that, uh, you know, it, it, I, I tried to explain it. Um, as I said, I, I think I mentioned before, I'm, I'm originally from Washington D.C. and I have a bunch of friends in D.C. and and I used to talk to them when I was in California running my my cannabis clubs, and. Uh, they couldn't understand how pervasive cannabis is in California. And I said, you know, it's not, it, although everybody in California can say, yes, I know someone who smokes weed, which I think in most states uh, saying that everybody can say, I know someone who smokes weed is kind of rare. But in California, it's not that. Everybody knows someone who grows weed. <laughs> Make no mistake. It's that. I mean, it is literally yeah. and has been anywhere and everywhere for years. And so, um, and it's why you don't see these huge pops like, you know, oh, the California cannabis market, they're not getting as much tax revenue and all that. I mean, it's, it's embedded in there. The illicit market isn't even considered illicit. It's day to day. I mean, yeah. people have been buying weed on the gray market for decades in California. So it's, a, it's an interesting market. Uh, all right. And so uh, the issue of banking, this is a question oh. I've been um, oh wrestling with for a long time. It's very complicated and convoluted. But because the feds still consider it, it's still illegal uh, on the federal level, how can people get the ability uh, to write checks? How could a medical uh, dispenser, a medical marijuana dispensary or a, a recreational dispensary get the ability to write checks? <sighs> so we weren't supposed to talk about this and I literally just went through this and it's, 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 it's a thing for me. So uh, banking uh, is, as a cannabis business is kind of a nightmare. Um, I, my consultancy is super critical. We just got our bank account opened about a week and a half ago. It took us six weeks. Um, we're a consultancy. We don't grow weed. We don't touch weed. We don't sell weed. We just service people who do those things. Um, and so although we're not plant touching, uh, we're arm's length away from the business, um, we're still considered a high risk account. There's a, a bunch of FinCEN regulations um, that these banks have to go through. There's a very small handful of banks, um, none of the big ones really, that are willing to take on cannabis clients. Uh, the fees are astronomical. Um, for my company, again, which doesn't touch the plant, um, there's not a lot of additional reporting they have to do if you were, let's say, a cultivator or something. And uh, let's see, we paid $500 just to onboard the account. We paid $250 a month just to have the account. And that was the best deal we could find. We found $1,500 to open the account, $1,000 a month. You have to keep a $10,000 minimum if you go under a $500 fine. And this is a small startup. And you're talking about thousands of dollars of banking costs just to keep an account open. It is hyper frustrating. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, the, 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 uh, States Act, which is supposed to, uh, is it States Act that pushes the banking down, or, or the, uh, I forget the Banking Act. It's not states. It's it's it's, it's, it's the, the other, safe. the Safe. Thank you, the Safe Act. Uh, the Safe Act, which which will allow for banking. Um, uh, it still doesn't address 280e taxation, which is a whole another ball of wax to deal with. Um, but yeah, hopefully the Safe Banking Act will pass because um, it's it's dangerous, and this kind of actually dovetails into the idea of, of consumption, public consumption. Um, when you look at cannabis laws, laws around cannabis in this country are public safety laws. And when you say public safety, that is how do we protect the children again from the devil's lettuce? 
And so in protecting children, that's why you have all these setbacks for your marijuana business has to be a thousand feet away from a school or a daycare center, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so when you look at the banking laws, you know, it is wildly unsafe to force these companies to deal in cash. I mean, we did $40 million worth of sales in January. That's $40 million in cash going through a hundred locations across the state of Illinois. Does that sound safe to you? No. Yeah. And, and I don't so, know how you write a check. How do you pay your employees in cash? Uh, no, you, you, you end up getting banking at these exorbitant fees, and then you can actually cut checks. Um, but it's, like I said, it's, it's, it's a hassle, and it's very difficult, and it's prohibitive. And you still have to have armored trucks pick up the cash, because no one, even though you can find a bank that will bank you, nobody will give you merchant services. So you cannot accept credit cards. It's going to be a cash business no matter what until the Safe Banking Act passes. All right. I'm probably going to bring you back, Sparky, to take a deeper dive. This, <laughs> this is a mini obsession of mine. Uh, I'm just going to make an appeal to all my uh, libertarian friends, all my Republican friends. You say you believe in free markets. You say you don't like government regulations. You're certainly uh, outspoken about this when it comes to rules and regulations that protect the environment from pollution. So why don't you ease up on the cannabis industry, for goodness sake, and let banks operate, let, let these uh, dispensaries get access to banking without these exorbitant fees that are brought on by your intervention in the market. I just want to add that, Sparky Rose, that's me talking, not you. Don't want to get you in trouble with your libertarian <laughs> friends. Uh, we, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about social consumption with Sparky Rose and Lisa Salman. Right back. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. In 2010, you petitioned the USDA to keep frozen pizzas in school lunches, therefore allowing for the sauce to be counted as a vegetable in order to support the business of a Minnesota frozen foods company. Amid the obesity epidemic that has plagued this country for decades, to what extent do you believe that the financial interests of corporations in your home state should outweigh the health of America's next generation? Okay, well, that's a big question. Uh, thank you. First of all, I made clear in a New York Times article a few years later when I was asked about that, that it was just a letter that I had sent. Um, we were in the middle of the downturn, and it was a little more, I would say, complex in terms of the language, but it's a fair criticism. And so I said I regretted sending that letter. It was about uh, trying to keep a company afloat in a really small town uh, that employed a bunch of people. But I think that nutrition is paramount for this country, and that's why way before I was running for president, I said that that was a mistake, all right? I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. Welcome back to The Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, 
take us home. Man, we got a lot of conversation ahead of us. Lisa Salmon in the studio, Sparky Rose in the studio. We're talking cannabis, uh, the insanity of, of the law, the federal laws against cannabis. Yeah, everybody in Illinois is partying like rock stars uh, since January 1st when it officially became legal. And the newspapers have a field days with stories about reefer, this, that, and the other thing. The reality is, folks, you still live, even if you live in the city of Chicago, even if you live in the county of Cook, even if you live in the state of Illinois, you still live in the United States of America, and it's illegal on the federal level. And I'm just going to throw this out there. All right, I'm not speaking for Lisa Solomon or Sparky Rose. I'm speaking for me. Donald John Trump and the Republicans are the ones holding up any movement towards sanity in making it legal federal. I'm just putting that out there, folks. So all my reefer-loving Republican friends out there, something to consider, all right? Before you vote for your boy again, just throwing that out there. Uh, Lisa Solomon has something she wants to say. Yeah, just when we jump in, Part of this, part of the issue with social consumption, public consumption, is if you don't allow it, you're still trying to keep it down. You're trying to make people think it's something bad, that there's something wrong with it. So to normalize, to destigmatize, to fight back against that war on drugs, you got to make it, you know, as legal to use as alcohol. You know, you don't drive when you're high, you don't drive when you're drunk. Mm-hmm. But Sparky has a lot to say on this, and is right, so knowledgeable. Yeah. Social consumption. What do you, first of all, what does it mean? So uh, currently in most jurisdictions in the United States of America, cannabis consumption is relegated to your home for all intent and purpose. You cannot smoke in public. You cannot smoke in public places. Um, uh, any place that has a tobacco smoking law in place for not being able to smoke indoors or you know within a certain feet of an establishment and all that sort of stuff, all those rules apply to cannabis smokers. And so... You have a group of people who cannot use cannabis medicinally or otherwise, except in the privacy of their own home. Um, you know, th- there are some basic problems with that, as in uh, a lot of people rent an apartment. A lot of pe- people can't smoke in their domicile, and if they do, they can get evicted. And if you're a medical patient who needs this for medical purposes, that could be a serious problem. But when we talk about public con- consumption and, and uh, commonly, you'll hear uh, the term consumption lounges, um, and, and there's a lot of people talking about consumption lounges here in Illinois and across the United States of America. Most jurisdictions have prevented the opening of consumption lounges, um, but I'll give you uh, sort of a, an example that's kind of the extreme, but it really um, it really uh, puts the point out there, and that is if you look at Las Vegas. So Las Vegas is an adult-use uh, city, an adult-use state. Um, they have a massive amount of tourism. A lot of people go there, and as soon as they get there, they go to the dispensary because they want to get some cannabis because it's legal. The hotels in Las Vegas are a little bit different than the hotels, let's say, here in Chicago because a vast majority, if not all of them, have gaming licenses. And gaming and drugs do not mix. And so if you have drugs in a gaming establishment, the gaming establishment can lose their license. Um, MJ BizCon, which is the largest cannabis convention that happens every year, happens in Las Vegas. I've been to countless um, launch parties, et cetera, et cetera, in Las Vegas uh, for cannabis companies and the security security is intense you 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 don't pull out a vape pen or anything because they will toss you immediately because they are not going to lose their license so you have all these tourists rolling into vegas where are they going to smoke they can't smoke in the hotel they can't there's no consumption lounges they're going to smoke on the street and if you think about the idea that hey once again cannabis laws are there to protect the public we don't want the kids to get the cannabis well then maybe you should put it behind some sort of closed door and have a place where people can go consume where 
children are not allowed. It's just, it's just like a bar, you know. We do we we have bars so people aren't walking around on the street with you know a brown paper bag drinking so kids don't see it. And so um, I'm very pro consumption lounge, and and I think that consumption lounge should be made made legal here in Illinois. Uh, whether or not they dispense or not, I find to be immaterial from a business perspective. You'd like to, but we need safe places for people to consume cannabis. Um, out of public view uh, and away from children uh, in, in a safe environment. And the, 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 the biggest pushback you get is DUIs. And, you know, that makes sense. But we have DUIs with alcohol and we have a lot more of them. And Colorado has a lot more alcohol DUIs than marijuana DUIs. Um, it, it comes to the territory. Mm-hmm. You can't expect that, hey, we're going to allow this new uh, intoxicant or adulterant to be legal and that we're going to manage it to where there's zero DUIs to ever happen. Um, and, 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 you know, if, if, we, if we have an industry that pushes responsible consumption, um, you know, I think we can overcome a lot of those, uh, those potentials for, for DUIs, et cetera. All right, spell out, if you can, uh, in Illinois, the rules regarding consumption lounges. Are they banned across the board? They're not banned. They're not even mentioned. And as a matter of fact, there is an avenue. Um, basically, if you, if the local jurisdiction, uh, the local township or village, um, if they're okay with it, you can allow on-site consumption. Um, there was a, a bit of legislation that leaked, right? Uh, I thought there was one license granted down in Springfield. Yeah, there is, there's one that has been granted um, yeah. that is allowed. Um, and then there has been at least another business. It's one of those, um, what do they have, like the Chardonnay, where you drink wine and you paint? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, someone's got <laughs> one of those. Party. Yeah, I forget Wait, the smoke term. Wait, joint and paint? <laughs> exactly, I think, yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure it's paint or it's pottery, one of the two. But oh, they just, wow. they just opened pottery up. Pottery would be better. <laughs> Sorry. And I, oh, and I know that... Uh, and I, <laughs> the pottery, yeah. And I know that Looper's coming to town. Looper is a bus service out of uh, out of. Colorado, mm-hmm. where they have a bus that you can consume on the bus, and you get on, <laughs> and they drive basically these loops from dispensary to dispensary to dispensary. That's coming there to Chicago. There are a bunch of bus yeah. companies that have already landed here, and they're yes. starting to operate. That, that's like now that gets into I want to tangent, but in the old days, <laughs> they could, you could only have a uh, a gambling casino on a boat, right? It, because the notion is that you. Could <laughs> <laughs> Man, we are so weird. The, oh, you just put it on a boat; it goes out the water, and it won't like pollute the environment with the gambling. All right, and, and and that seems to be the other thing is is um, when you talk about consumption lounges, you're talking about public consumption lounges. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, um, as far as I know, there is nothing that stops you from having a private club. You know, um, outside of the regular smoking laws. So, um, you know, you might have to go through, uh, jump through some hoops to either establish yourself as a tobacco shop or something, so that you can allow people to smoke on the premises. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, um, you know, you can open up a private club all day long. Um, and, uh, and so, I, you know, and, and we're already seeing, you know, the dinners, these are not licensed uh, establishments, but they're private dinners. You go, you pay a fee, you're, you've opted into this event, and you're allowed to consume cannabis. So in other words, uh, we've, I've been through this from the other side, uh, but you were still in California, the, uh, the state of Illinois banned cigarette smoking in public places, a whole list of places that you can't smoke cigarettes. I was a big uh, proponent of that. I hate secondhand smoke. I've not heard the argument uh, in the case of cannabis. Notice how I've been saying cannabis a lot, Lisa, since you've been on it. And you thank you for that. (laughs) But I've not heard the argument in the case of cannabis against secondhand smoke. Is there a compelling argument against secondhand smoke for any medicinal reasons? Um, I I, I wouldn't consider it compelling. Um, You know, 
smoke is bad. Smoking is bad for you. I don't care if it's cannabis or otherwise. It's carcinogen. That's a fact. Um, and, and, you know, it, it was early on, it was one of the big um, sort of arguments against um, medical cannabis was a doctor would never prescribe a patient to smoke anything because mm-hmm. it's terrible for you. Um, and, and when you think about it, you know, medical cannabis isn't a thing. It's not a thing. It is a public policy. It is basically a state saying there is a group of people that live in our state who have it so horrifically bad that we're going to let them have this thing that might make them feel better. It's a public policy. It is not a thing. Um, and so when you start to look at it that way, you know, um, it, you know, there, I, I don't think there's going to be a secondhand smoke argument because I just don't know that there's enough smoke. I mean, you can't mow through joints the way you can mow through cigarettes. <laughs> I mean, I just did, you know, I think there's just got to be a tipping point when you have enough uh, in the air to actually uh, affect your lungs in a bad way. Um, I just don't know that it ever gets that bad. You do have to be careful. You can get a contact high from oh, secondhand smoke. Absolutely. If you're in a small space, if you don't know what hot boxing is, we can talk about that at a different time. Um, but yeah, so if you're going to be drug tested, yeah. don't sit in a small enclosed space with people smoking mm-hmm. because you'll test positive. I know someone that that happened two years ago. Yeah, no, that's why we. Uh, I won't let Dennis smoke in the studio. <laughs> um, <laughs> we had to learn the hard way on that one, didn't we? Again? <laughs> I'll get that. I'll get that. Yeah, well, how can I pose a question? I'm like, oh, hey, man. Um, so, all right, now let's talk about walking down the street smoking marijuana. I get a lot of people ask me, they think I'm a Mr. Marijuana Law Expert, uh, Sparking. I really I am not okay, but uh, so this is an issue in Chicago. Uh, will the police or this is in the state of Illinois will they arrest you if you're walking down the street? Talk about uh, public consumption, mm-hmm. smoking a joint. What is what are the what's the law on this? Well, the law is it's wildly illegal, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, would the police arrest you in Chicago? I seriously doubt it. Um, they have a lot more important things. They might tell you to put it out or knock it off. Um, I don't think you'll see an arrest, but it's illegal. You're not meant to do it. Um, the other issue is, again, you know, uh, so when you look at the various consumption methods of cannabis that are available, ob- everyone obviously is aware that smoking cannabis, it's kind of how it all started. Um, vaporization is a very big deal. I'm sure you've heard of vape pens, et cetera. Um, they're far more discreet. They don't smell. Um, you know, you'd be hard pressed to tell the difference between someone uh, taking a, a puff off of an e-cigarette versus a cannabis vape pen. Um, and when you bring CBD into it, that's a whole other story. But um, so, it, you know, even vaping in public, although it's illegal, it's not like it's a nuisance. It's not like it happens all the time here in the city. I see it all the time. I've done it myself. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's against the law. You're not meant to consume any cannabis in public in any form or fashion. But downtown, like West Loop, all sorts of areas, I can't go more than a block without smelling weed. People are smoking it all the time. And sometimes I walk by and there's a cop car just sitting there. Like if it's a nice fall or summer day, windows open, the smell of weed is just wafting through and they don't even turn their head. They've got other things to worry about. It's not to say you aren't gonna have some that are against 
cannabis and are going to want to bust people. So there's a whole nother. This is I don't know if you heard this. Um, it was in the news. I think both Texas and Ohio have this situation. So with the passing of the 2018 Farm Bill, which legalized industrial hemp in the United States of America, you have a bunch of hemp farmers growing hemp for CBD. Um, and so CBD is a cannabinoid. It's an oil that you can get out of the cannabis plant. You can get it out of marijuana or you can get it out of hemp. Um, when you grow uh, hemp for CBD, it has flowers just like marijuana. And I'll tell you right now, I couldn't and you couldn't and nobody could tell if I held up a bud of hemp, whether that was hemp or or really potent marijuana. There's and even just, smelling it when you smoke oh, yeah, it, it, it smells, smells the same and you can get hemp pre-rolls. Yeah, you can buy hemp that you can smoke. And so in Ohio and in Texas, they rushed their hemp legalization uh, uh, regulations through um, because you had like a six-month window for each state to say, here's how we're going to license hemp farms. Mm-hmm. And so they all kind of rushed through some legislation. Um, and now police departments in both of those states have said, we will not pull anybody over for anything related to weed because we can't tell the difference and we don't have the machinery mm-hmm. to test whether or not this is less than 0.3% THC, which quali- which would make it hemp versus the illicit marijuana. Mm-hmm. And so they can't tell the difference and they don't have the machinery to tell the difference. So they're like, I mean, it's basically become legal mm-hmm. across the U.S. because nobody can tell. It is basically legal, yeah. uh, according to police departments. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of arrests. I, I believe that Lori Life, Mayor Lightfoot uh, issued some kind of uh, memo or something to the Chicago Police Department saying do not arrest people uh, for smoking marijuana. Because mm-hmm. this yeah. is a this was in Chicago. Uh, uh, Sparky, I don't know if you followed this. I presume you have because you seem to know everything, absolutely everything about cannabis. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but this was an issue when the law was passed. As you were saying, you could smoke in your house. Well, what if you don't own a house? You're a renter. Can you smoke in your house? And and then the, 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 the CHA said you can't smoke in CHA because it's federally subsidized uh, federal ho- uh, housing, public yeah. housing. So if you're poor or if you're low income, where do you smoke? You can't smoke in your apartment. You can't if you're living in the CHA. You can't smoke in the CHA. Uh, then they said, well, you know, you're not really allowed to smoke on your front porch. Are the police going to bust you for smoking in your front porch? Can you smoke in the backyard? I mean, you can't smoke walking down the street. You can't, can you, you can't smoke at the rocks, even though we've been smoking at the rocks on the lakefront since the 70s. So, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? It's uh, and if you stop and think about it, and I'm sure this was never intentional by anyone who put these regulations together. But again, this is an assault on black and brown people because they can't, you know, they don't own their home, they're renters or they're in public housing. And so once again, it's not okay for them to smoke, but it's okay for rich, affluent white people on the North side to do whatever they want. Um, You know, again, I think the public consumption issue, you can still look at this as an assault on black and brown people. Yeah, that's why, by the way, and I know you don't want to go political, I'm just going to say this is me speaking. speaking. Michael Bloomberg got to do a lot more apologizing. Uh, that bit, <laughs> that stop and frisk thing where he's talking about arresting people for marijuana, or gets them off the street, like there's a correlation between people having guns and smoking marijuana. Uh, that was pretty vile. So a little more apologizing, please, on that front. <laughs> Uh, yes, I would appreciate that. Uh, you know, you've said so many things, uh, Sparky Rose, that I want to take the deep dive in. We've run out of time. One of them was gaming and drugs do not mix. Man, we could do a whole show <laughs> on gaming and drugs do not because I know a lot of serious gamblers who love smoking reefer. Uh, and I'm not quite sure why they don't mix, uh, but that'd probably be a whole other show, gaming and marijuana. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Sparky. You really know your stuff. Lisa Solomon uh, comes in. 
Every other week with the cannabis conversation, is that correct? I could come in every day for cannabis conversations. There's so much to talk about. So I appreciate <laughs> you doing this. Uh, Lisa Solomon, Sparky Rose, Miles Conflossum did an excellent job. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind the boards, the man who makes it all possible, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Sparky Rose will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise, <laughs> take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs> And Dr. Doobie. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J. Bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, we live stream this program. It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. Once again, at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. And when you check out the Sun-Times YouTube channel, you can join the live stream chat. Hang out with Pat Rod, Jay Marie, Brianna, and the rest of them, like Johnny Joe and Roe. I can keep going here, but join the live stream chat. It's a fantastic time. We'll see everybody Friday. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. That's correct.